Welcome to the Sustainability Report podcast. Inspiration and insight from sport and sustainability champions. Here's your host, Matthew Campelli. Hello and welcome to the Sustainability Report podcast. I'm Matthew Campelli. In this episode, we'll be taking a look at the ocean plastics crisis and what sport can do to help solve it with ocean health advocate, skipper and adventurer, Emily Penn. Emily will tell the amazing story of her special relationship with the ocean and how she has been fighting for more than a decade to save it from the plastic pollution that currently engulfs it. It's estimated that 8 million metric tons of the material enters the sea every year. During the show, Emily will lift the lid on her most ambitious expedition yet, a two-year round-the-world voyage giving 300 women the chance to conduct research on the growing problem and to find the solution to it. She'll also discuss her work with major sports organizations, including World Sailing and the Ocean Race, and give her thoughts on sports' wider role in ending this ocean plastics crisis for good. Enjoy the show. Hi, Emily. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Uh, How are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. Great to be here. I can imagine the best way to characterize that will be quite busy at the moment. I suspect that you've got quite a lot on uh, considering expedition. Your two-year voyage is going to be kicking off in in a few weeks' time. Absolutely. Yeah, very busy getting the team up to speed, getting a new boat launched and in the water and along with everything else that it takes to get one of these missions uh, ready to go. So so just for the listeners who don't know about that expedition, Emily will be, I guess you'll be skippering not for the whole uh, voyage, but for part of the voyage. Boat is going to go around the globe over the next two years, taking 300 women around the world to uh, look at ocean plastics and doing some research and basically trying to tackle this massive issue. Absolutely. Yeah, we've run 11 voyages so far in the last five years looking at this issue and realised that really it's now time to scale up um, so that we can do more research to understand really um, where the solutions lie in solving this problem. Um, Also, move on this kind of narrative really about what the issue actually is that we see out there, uh, as well as building an army of people who are equipped and ready to solve it. So perhaps you can talk a little bit before we talk about voyage coming up. Over the previous 11 voyages, what are the kind of most noteworthy things, most notable things that you found? So um, obviously huge amounts of plastic, which, you know, when I first did a trip around the world uh, over 10 years ago now, it was just absolutely not what I was expecting to see. Um, and, you know, jumping off the boat and finding myself surrounded in fragments of plastic was really the moment that then um, led to everything that was to follow to really understanding what's happening and, and how we do solve it. Um, and so, you know, that then we went and started started doing these voyages and actually doing the scientific research to understand it further. Um, I mean, crossing the North Pacific last summer, we found more plastic than ever um, in our samples. So surface water samples where we trawl um, to look at the microplastics, these tiny fragments. Um, You know, we're we're finding vast quantities of those, realising that actually it's more of a soup of plastics on the surface than an island. Um, and that the marine life is mistaking it for food um, and, and really, you know, something that, that we don't really understand the full extent of um, at the moment and, and certainly how to solve it. Mm. And that's a huge issue because you're finding these microplastics in really kind of parts of the world. There's no human life anywhere close to it. It's impacting parts of the world that we're not even close to. So even when we sailed to the Arctic, we sailed through the Northwest Passage from Greenland to Alaska. 
And we found pieces of plastic throughout those waters as well, waters that are frozen for 11 months of the year um, and, and still fragments of plastic, but also microfibers. Um, so plastic fragments that are coming from most likely our clothing when we put it in the washing machine. Small polyester fibers find their way into the ocean. Um, and as you say, getting to these very remote parts of the planet that we don't even live in. What was the motivation? What, why do you feel the need to kind of expand it to, to this extent now? And so partly because there were so many people willing to kind of put their hand up and say, you know, actually, I want to be part of this. I want to know more. I want to understand what I can do and solve the problem um, was, was a big part of the reason. This realisation that there's no silver bullet solution for solving this plastics issue. And it's not up to the scientists and the politicians to crack it. But it actually needs all of us to all say we need to do, all do something. Hence, we take a very multidisciplinary group of women sailing with us from scientists, journalists, artists, designers, policy leaders um, to all work together um, on the solutions. Um, so with the need for that, we thought, well, we, we better, you know, make this army as big as we can and, and take as many people as possible to understand the problem. How, how many women actually apply for those places? Close to 10,000 women. Wow. Um, either apply or, or sign up for, for the next round of information. So it's been a real challenge um, <laughs> to have to whittle it down to 300. Um, we've actually allocated just the first half of the places so far. And then over the next year, we'll allocate the second half. Um, okay. So there is still an opportunity to get on board. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, that must be a huge process whittling that number down. I mean, I mean, you talked about the fact that you're looking at a multidisciplinary approach. Um, does it basically come down to, to skills at the end of the day? Yeah, their skills and also their opportunity to create an impact afterwards. Um, so that's what we really want them to do is have this completely transformative experience where they sail across an ocean. They see the problem firsthand, really understand the problem. Um, you know, we all realize that it's quite hard to sit on land and come up with this solution for something that's happening thousands of miles away and so you know with that being said it's looking for people that really can take all of that learning home do you have any kind of the idea of what your kind of overall ambition will be in terms of you know the, the results collection process i mean did you have a kind of hypothesis that you're working towards yes a couple of things really um one is so 10 years ago i did a first global study or participated in it um, looking at the status of plastic in our ocean and what we do want to do is still use the same method as one part of our science again a decade on to really see what change there has been um, so that will be one part of it but um, obviously technology and science has moved a long way and there's a lot more we can do now that we could do 10 years ago and really where we're trying to get to with the science program is understand where the solutions lie um, and so how we do that comes in a, a number of ways and um, we'll be looking at um, plastic that's on the surface in the water column um, on the seabed and also in the air um, so taking it into those three dimensions um, that hasn't been done very much before we've mostly just been looking at the surface um, previously so we need to understand where it's going but we also need to understand where it's coming from um, and so yeah if I was to sort of sum up really what we're trying to do on these next two years of around the world is be able to pinpoint the sources of this plastic um, and so that mostly means rather than perhaps exactly where it's come from looking at which industry it's come from um, so is it polyester fibre from our clothing is it 
tyre dust? Is it uh, nurdles, the pre-production pellets that haven't even yet got into the hands of a consumer? And if we can understand more what type of plastic is in the ocean, um, then I think it will put us in a much better position to understand the, where we have the biggest opportunity to solve it back on land, which is where we all know the solutions lie, is upstream uh, here on land rather than focusing on cleanup in the ocean. That segues nicely into what I want to talk about with regards to sports. As an industry, sport perhaps isn't uh, huge in terms of obviously the manufacture of plastic, but consumption of plastic is obviously huge within sports events. You've worked in sport a little bit with uh, the ocean race and 11th hour racing and world sailing. Um, how, how do you think sport can, can contribute to this issue? I think there's lots of opportunities within sport. Um, there's the, the really obvious ones um, in that, you know, thinking about our own single use plastic, um, particularly keeping hydrated um, is a very typical problem in sport. But it's also something that we all need to do in our daily lives. And so looking for alternatives, whether that's switching to a stainless steel water bottle, which is what a lot of these big races have now done. They've also had to work out where you can then get a clean supply of drinking water from which is obviously for athletes absolutely critical they can't be getting sick uh, just when they're about to perform the biggest race of their life um, and then other ways around it the London Marathon um, this year actually used a product called Uhu which is a algae based um, gel uh, with uh, liquid inside um, that you can kind of eat the whole thing or it's biodegradable so there's lots of different ways that you can solve the hydration problem um, but sport is a really great and high profile place to start. Um, but I think there's there's a lot of other things that sport can do because generally, um, particularly sailing, you know, you're innovating, you're creating new boats, you're trying to go faster, you're trying to push technology. And um, all of that technology comes with innovation and new materials and new ways of doing things, which is exactly what we need to do right now to solve this plastics crisis. Mm. And so if we can use sport to be able to develop those new technologies, um, then that's going to really help move the bar in other industries as well. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, sailing, uh, I've spoken to the ocean people at the ocean race many times and world sailing. There's a sense that this kind of innovation argument, that innovating in one area doesn't necessarily have to mean detrimental uh, effects in the other area. So if you're innovating with regards to sustainability, that doesn't mean performance will go down. In fact, I think they view it as the opposite, that performance can be increased if, if you look at sustainability as well. Absolutely. Um, and and that's the challenge, you know, that we now have. And then when you have a body like World Sailing that can come along and, and kind of change the rules, you know, it's almost like the mini legislation power that we have in our countries. <laughs> you know, you, you have a governing body for each of these different sports. And if they can come along and just change the rules a little bit to basically incentivize people to do it sustainably, um, then it means you can still be competitive. Um, and move the bar on sustainability at the same time. So it's really important to get buy-in from all the parties. You know, we need um, the governance there, but we also need industry coming to the table and we need the competitors or the individuals um, passionate about it as well. There will be some organisations in sport that are, are nowhere near while sailing in terms of what they're doing around sustainability, in, in particular ocean plastics. How can we convince them to get on board with this type of thing? How can we kind of showcase a kind of business case for them to get on board with this? I think a lot of it comes initially from that sort of inspiration engagement moment. Um, there's nothing better than um, seeing a problem firsthand for yourself. Um, you know, last week I was working on a project where I was dissecting a sea turtle in a lab and pulled seven plastic bags out of the gut of a sea turtle. Seven. And 
exactly and there's no one in that room who went through that experience who could ever look back or or will ever look at a plastic bag in the same way again And I think these moments where you really see it and experience it, they do change our lives forever. But it has to also be coupled with um, a a passion for the thing that we're losing. You know, if you don't care about the turtle in the first place, then maybe it won't impact you. Um, So, you know, on one hand, we need to really be able to um, get people having these experiences where they see the issue. But we also need people simply to um, fall in love with our amazing blue planet um, so much that they really want to care for it. And that's the great thing about the sailing industry is you've got a group of people who already love the ocean because mm-hmm. it's their playground and it's mm-hmm. all of our backyard. Um, yeah. And so that's been, you know, for me, what's been so great working initially with the sailing industry, because um, it, it's actually been quite easy to make headway and, you know, quick gains um, because you've already got that on our side. Um, so also exposure to the problem is just exposure to um, to our amazing blue planet and how magical it is and, and how important it is for our survival. Uh, you also work, uh, do some work, ambassador work with Sky Ocean Rescue, which I guess is kind of loosely associated with sport through some of the work that they do with some of the Premier League football clubs and Sky obviously partner with many sports. How can we kind of use partnerships within sport to look at the ocean plastics issue and to, to kind of tackle it together rather than doing it separately? Absolutely. And I think, yeah, Sky has been such a great example of how powerful those partnerships can be, Um, partly, you know, because they also, being a media company, have an opportunity to then spread that message to many more people um, than than you would otherwise. And um, I think what's also been great about that Premier League partnership is um, there was actually, there's been some research done to show which different groups of people um, are more likely to care about the ocean um, and do something about it. And it turned out that actually women, um, funnily enough, in their sort of uh, 20s and 30s, I think, were the top group. But actually men, particularly young men, were the group that were were deemed least likely from this survey. Um, But what I find so interesting about that when you're working with a group like Premier League is, you know, typically there's a lot of young men around um, Mm -hmm. in that audience. And so I think what sport also allows us to do, and particularly these partnerships, is reach people that perhaps aren't being reached on these issues through other ways because they wouldn't organically seek it out. Um, And so, you know, that's powerful by switching up um, the plastic cups that you're selling beer in at half time in a football match to something that is reusable um, and isn't single use is a huge step that gets seen by people that perhaps wouldn't be exposed to the solutions otherwise. Yeah, that, that is extremely powerful. And that's really interesting knowing those figures. And I, I fall into that young male category, so I'm slightly embarrassed. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, um, well, it's definitely not, um, you know, definitely not everyone, but just as, as a general rule, um, which, you know, perhaps isn't surprising because we all have different pri- priorities at different sure. stages of lives and, and we're exposed to very different things. So, uh, yes, lots of ways we can make it exciting for everyone. So for, for the guys who are going to the football match, and I think this was a, a pilot with, I think, Arsenal, Fulham, a few London football clubs, I think, uh, with, the, with the plastic cups. So when they, when they go to the match, they pick up the plastic cup and they're going to use their pint glass throughout the whole of the, the match. Is there any way to kind of join the dots between what they're holding in their hands to the existential crisis that you're talking about at the top of our conversation? How, how, how would they kind of link that up? 
Yeah, absolutely. And that's one of the bigger challenges is, um, you know, there's only so much you want to kind of force in front of someone um, <laughs> versus, you know, sometimes actually the subtle ways, you know, of they they sort of notice it's different, start asking question and why and then having that information available um, is, is sometimes actually, um, the, you know, a better way to go. Um, and it, and I think getting people just changing their behaviour subtly, um, you know, is a great start. Um, but but I completely agree. You know, we need to we need to speed things up. Um, and the more we can get people engaged with the wider issue, the better. How did Ocean Plastics become your life's work, Emily? What, what initially inspired you? It was really that trip about 12 years ago. I crossed the Pacific and I was actually trying to hitchhike to Australia for a new job as an architect, which is what I trained in. And um, I wanted to get there without taking an aeroplane. So I ended up taking a boat across the Atlantic and the Pacific Oceans. And one day I went for a swim. Uh, we didn't have a shower or any running water on the boat. So the only way to keep clean was to jump in the ocean each morning and one day, middle of the Pacific, I came up surrounded by plastic and a toothbrush floated by. And it just didn't make any sense to me why a thousand miles from land um, I was seeing these pieces of plastic that once belonged to somebody. Mm-hmm. That toothbrush had once brushed somebody's teeth. And I started thinking, well, who did that belong to? Um, and how on earth did it end up here? And then this went on and on then for the months that we crossed the Pacific, the islands that we stopped at. This issue became um, really clear that it was something that, that wasn't right. Um, so that that was the moment that I realised I needed to do something about it. But it took years yeah. Um, yeah. of starting off doing projects first, working on cleanup in the South Pacific, to then doing research, to then really understanding these upstream solutions um, that yeah. we're working on now. I mean, at the time, we're talking 10, 12 years ago when I mean, ocean plastics is very much in the zeitgeist at the moment, but I suppose then it, there wasn't much awareness around it apart from the islands that were actually uh, affected by it. I, I can imagine it must have been quite an overwhelming prospect for you at the time to, to take on such a big issue that wasn't really being spoken about. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, a lot of people thought it was quite odd that what do you do? You know, <laughs> take you half an hour to just explain to someone <laughs> what you do. And now you just say, oh, work on ocean plastic and, and everyone's heard of it. Um, so it, it was definitely a challenge, but I, I think just being out there and seeing it again and again and it not going away, in fact, it actually getting worse and worse each year um, meant that, you know, I, I just felt like I was onto something that deserved my time and focus um, to keep on trying. Um, and obviously we've got there now, at least with the awareness and next steps action. Why did you initially not want to take the aircraft to Australia? Was it a climate thing? Because if so, that's very much ahead of the curve as well. Or did it, was it adventure? Was it fear of flying? What was the kind of motivation <laughs> behind taking this trip to begin with? Sure. So actually the previous year, um, when I was studying architecture, I wanted to write my dissertation on a zero carbon eco city that was being built in Shanghai. Um, and for that, it was very much about my carbon footprint. I thought I can't go and study a zero carbon city and take an aeroplane to get there. Um, so <laughs> I ended up taking a train um, and a little bit of a camel and a horse across Europe, Russia, really? Mongolia and down through China um, when I was 19. And um, that journey, uh, obviously, there was the, the carbon footprint side of things. But actually, I fell in love with this idea of traveling slowly mm-hmm. around the planet. And it's particularly when you cross a continent like that, you're 
experiencing a really subtle change in culture and climate and landscape and most of all the people mm-hmm. who you meet um you know every every day it subtly changes and that completely fascinated me and really put china into context of everything that i grew up and knew in the uk and it, I just, you know, when I then had this prospect of going and living on the other side of the world, I really wanted to do the same thing. I wanted to experience everything in between the UK and Australia, um, hence the real ambition to go by boat. So it was a bit of carbon footprint, a bit of adventure um, and a bit of really understanding the planet all wrapped up together. Just finally, before, uh, well, obviously you're, you're entering into a very kind of busy period two-year period with expedition but what's kind of the the ultimate ambition emily ocean plastics i guess even now it's in the public domain it's still it still seems like feels like a very overwhelming prospect i mean the, the amount of plastic consumption that we that we use is is still huge even if it is declining where do you see this actually ending what's the next kind of milestone you think within this conversation yeah, so there's obviously, as you say, there's still a huge amount of work to do um, on plastics. And so I can see that consuming uh, quite a few more years to, to get that to a place where, um, you know, we have fully eliminated single use plastic and learned to live in circles the same way that nature does, you know, rather than these linear systems um, that we currently have. Uh, we really need to close the loops. Um, so, so that's the really the sort of big goal. But I really think to get there, um, it'll take it'll take a lot, um, particularly a shift in values, really, because so many of the big solutions that we really need, whether it's for plastic or for climate, um, actually involve a complete shift in our current priorities uh, that we have in this society that we've built just in the last. 100 years or so. Um, and so I think getting getting that shift away from, you know, things and consumption and money and onto um, the preciousness of our planet and all the other beautiful interactions and moments and the other ways that we can be fulfilled and happy um, on a daily basis will be a big part of achieving those goals. Um, and both on ocean plastics, but also I think once we get to those much bigger conversations, um, it will solve other problems as well. Mm-hmm. For, for the people who in sport who will be listening to this podcast, before we wrap up, can, would you be able to give them one kind of action step that they could take uh, within their organisation that would genuinely move the needle on this on this issue? Sure. I mean, if you haven't already, then single-use plastic is the low-hanging fruit. There's so many alternatives now. So um, eliminating single-use plastic from your company um, is is literally the best and first thing any organisation should be looking at doing. Um, And then beyond that, trying to work out the wider role uh, that can be played. But it really varies depending on whether you're a governing body, an industry or uh, an individual. Uh, it's looking at what opportunity you have to create change and influence. Emily, thanks so much for your time today and good luck with the with the voyage. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like the episode, don't forget to subscribe for future editions to hear more from the champions of the sport and sustainability movement. Also visit sustainabilityreport.com and follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn for the latest news, analysis, exclusive interviews and actionable case studies related to sustainability in sport. Bye for now.